on. We are recording. 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 Welcome. You know, guys, guys, just shouting recording record. <laughs> into record. a microphone is not actually going to make a show. I told you record. record. Make, make podcast magic. Make podcast now, Kuchunk. This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes from me, a terrible impersonation of Christopher Walken, to Melanie Nasal Rod, who is a lovely fan of the show. This one's going out to you, Mella. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the werewolves have come and gone. Long live the cyborgs. Aliens, they come down from space and they saw me and Rodrigo at the drive-in and they give us some chicklets. Plus, number 10 makes his final stand, but do they call him bad company? And can he deny? Long ago, in a distant land, I, Aku, the shape-shifting master of darkness, unleashed unspeakable evil, but a foolish samurai warrior wielding a magic sword stepped forth to oppose me. Before the final blow was struck, I tore open a portal in time and flung him into the future where my evil is law. And he had a baby carriage and stuff. The Daimeo used to tell me the truth of reality, and he spoke Kaze no Yami Hayaku, which he samurai for. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Going to get a little weird tonight, I think. Or today. Or this holiday yes, season. Yes, to our normal weeks. By the way, for the last couple of weeks, I like to apologize for being strident and obnoxious. I'm going to work on that. Uh, last couple of weeks? Yeah, just, Steven? Let's just take <laughs> it and roll with it. <laughs> All right, everybody. we got a good show well, tonight. We will be seven. talking about manga, which apparently we never talk about on this show. We never talk about manga. manga. You mean like manga? We're going to be speaking manganese. Yes. Look, we look we look at tons of uh, stuff that comes from Japan. Um, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Teen yeah. Titans. Yeah. Um. What the, else? Uh, um. You know that Mika one thing? California rolls. Yeah. Right. Tan. Uh, fortune cookies. We talk about oh, yeah. Asian stuff all the time. Uh, most most excellent extreme challenge. Yeah. <laughs> um, professional wrestling. Hey. Uh couple of news items this week. Yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> August is just like a dead dead month. It there really is. so much not Pretty going much on. for everything. The problem with August is there's no holiday, there's nothing to break up the tedium, and it's just, it's like hot. We should like just take uh, the long Halloween advice and just have like one important person's birthday that everybody celebrates <laughs> in August. <laughs> like Augustus? Maybe. Like, maybe. So, you know, like maybe. Carmine Falcone or something. Yeah, exactly. So three stories up on the Major Spoilers website. Uh, Soldier Zero Number One gets a sneak peek. Excelsior! Jumper 2. I'm Hayden Christensen! ORTC Universe Online Gameplay Sneak Peek. I'm the goddamn Batman. All right, spin He's that He's the wheel. online I don't Batman. Even, which, where is this going to end up? Uh, it's on three, Steve. Three? Three. The DC Universe online gameplay sneak peek. I'm, it's on three. 
I'm my eyesight's really bad this week. I'm all for um a massively MMO player RPG yeah, thing. I think it's gonna be interesting. Um I think Scott Johnson was giving away beta keys. Yeah, I think he did so, a couple uh, times, yeah. Um I signed I, up for the beta. I don't know if I ever got in or not. I tried I tried to get one, but he he wouldn't listen to me. Denied Yes. Scott Johnson, he's just like, No. No, little Rodrigo. No frog pants for you. <laughs> So did you well, take a look at this trailer uh, just uh, at the beginning of the week, last week, whatever week it was, I think it was into last week, uh, Sony Online Entertainment released a full gameplay trailer that featured actual gameplay uh-huh. character creation from the game. Not that totally awesome uh, cinematic that uh, that they uh, ran right at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I know that I've seen, I had seen a little bit of gameplay, and I don't know if that was just like highly rendered gameplay. No, Jim Lee is the one that's in charge of bringing this game to life. Jim Lee? Yeah, not High Lee. Oh, sorry. Um, but High Lee is from Japan. <laughs> yes. But not Chun Lee. She's right. from China. Right, right. She's from China. And let's um, for a moment talk about <laughs> Ellen Wong from uh, Scott Pilgrim. Totally underplayed. Right. Very hot. Yes. And totally mm. legal, apparently. Stephen. Yeah, 25 uh, years old. Yep. I had to look that up. and by had to he really means had to anyway go back to what you were saying Rodrigo needless to say Steven is on like Donkey Kong um (laughs) yeah gross you are disgusting to me (laughs) um you know DC Online looks good but you know we had City of Heroes, which right. is still going, right? But really, kind of uh, hasn't been, has never gotten back to its glory days um, when it was actually kind of a contender for you know the MMORPG crown, right? right. Um, Champions Online kind of came and went; it's still around, but people were like, "Oh, this is really not interesting at all." Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, DC Universe is going to try superheroes again with two games, at least two games, kind of on the same league that are already out there. Right. Um, I think that right now it's kind of been shown that the superhero game works, but it's kind of a zero-sum game. Not all. I don't know that all that many people are going to leave WoW to play DCU online. Oh, um, no, I don't think so at all because there's two different groups. I mean... I don't know. It's odd that a lot of people who I think would be interested in DC Universe Online won't because they're like, well, no, I'm a WoW player, and that's you know this, and those superhero games. Now, that's really, really weird. Excuse me while I try to level oh, yeah. up my troll. And 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 it's funny because you always get that kind of nerd-on-nerd hate. Right. Um, Can't we all just get along? But, you know, I, the, the thing that DCU really has going for it is that it's going to be available on the PS... Three, mm-hmm. um, so that is going to open a whole new avenue because there have been MMORPGs that were kind of both. I think Final Fantasy, whatever it was, nine or something, twelve, yeah, um, was actually an MMORPG, but that had kind of mixed results as well, and I think it's pretty much gone now. I think the last time I played Final Fantasy was like in '97, whichever one that was, with the guy with the big yellow hair and the big. They look like little cartoon characters instead of realistic. It was that game right before that. Seven, maybe? Final Fantasy Seven. Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. What did you play it on? What system? PC. Oh, yeah. Probably was Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. 
So, Matthew, did you have a chance to look at giant the... Giant uh, Sword. Yes, Giant Sword game, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you have a chance I, to look at the actual gameplay? I did. It actually looks pretty good. I think that my main... It does answer my main reservation. Which is? Which was, if I'm going to go and play in the DC Universe, <clears throat> obviously, there are, what, 20, 25 characters who are like the heroes? I don't get to play the heroes. I don't get to go in and be like Booster Gold or, you know, the outsider or Christopher Walken in this game. But, you know, it, it, it looks like you're going to be able to go in and create your character and play in the world and, you know, maybe hang out with the characters and interact with the Teen Titans and all of the people in the Justice League. And some of the voice actors, I think, um, are carrying over from other projects. Right. If I'm not mistaken, their Flash is the same Flash who plays Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's got uh, Mark Hamill, girl. it's got Kevin Conroy, it's got... Yeah, their hot girl is going to be the hot mom from Wizards of Waverly Place, you know. So I'm, I'm good with that. I think that I would have been... The game would have been more limited, but I think I would have been more interested if I got to go in and maybe, you know, role-play Commander Steel or whatever, but I understand why it didn't work that way. Oh, yeah. I'm still kind of interested. Knowing that it's going to be on the PS3 makes me a little more interested because, for some reason, if I'm going to be playing something extremely geeky and interactive, I think that the you know the PS3 kind of takes a little of a curse off it. Interesting. As far as... Well, for me, I sit in front of a computer many, many, many times for hours at a time, you know, talking about or writing about or babbling about superheroes, so... I'm not sure that I can add another eight to ten hours, you know, a month sitting and, and pretending to be a superhero, mm-hmm. uh, walk-in man. I, I I I have the ability to speak strangely. I think you know, honestly, yeah, kick-ass uh, dancer. The gameplay I yep. think looks fine. I think it's right on yep. par with what we see from a lot of games oh, of yeah. its type. I'm con- yep. I'm concerned about the world. Because, you know, they say, oh, we have all of Metropolis, and uh, mm-hmm. you can run up buildings, and you can go anywhere. I have a feeling you're not going to be able to go anywhere oh, no, of in the city not. of Metropolis. Right. And I'm going to well, note no, that Metropolis is probably six blocks by six blocks. Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> City of Heroes, it all takes place in one city. Right. So when you go to a different zone, it's just like a different part of the city. It's like going from, you know, I don't know, from Queens to the Bronx right, or whatever. Right, right. Um, and they're completely different. So that's probably what it's going to be like. Um Right. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen any announcement about any other cities, but I would yeah. be surprised if the first expansion is in Gotham. Right. If it's not included in If it's already. not already yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I think uh, Gotham and Metropolis are going to be in it at the beginning. I I think the downside is going to be, as it always is with the Mamorpaga, the other players. Yes. I, th- I think we're going to go in and we're going to see lots of Wolverine and Spider-Man and Superman, you know, knockoffs and lots of guys with names like Kick-Ass 420 and Dark Scorpiono and, you know, Tony Twist is ruling, whatever it is. You know, it, my online experience with um, SmackDown versus Raw has been overwhelmingly obnoxious simply because every time you log in, I, I hit my finisher on a guy and he starts throwing racial slurs at me over his headset, you know. Yeah. So I think that the negative parts are going to be the same negatives we have in all the other MMORPGs, which is, you know, occasionally you're going to have somebody standing there camping over a corpse and killing everybody who comes in and, you know, stealing your stuff and ganking all of your special equipment and all that. 
All I know is it <clears> says <throat> PS3 and PC, and I got a Mac. Son oh, a, darn. Son of a. Well, you'll just have to go be a blood elf with all the other 40-year-old men pretending Woo-hoo! to be 18-year-olds. Cannot wait. Rule one, when pretending to be an internet lesbian, do not start your sentence with, well, since I'm a girl, I like to. You know that from experience, Matthew, or what? I'm just giving hints. Oh, okay. you know these people do this. You know they exist. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know they're going to be a lot of Power Girl knockoffs, and there's going to be somebody who tries to make a superhero who's naked or who looks. Yeah, naked. mine's going to be. Uh, I'm going to make a, a skeleton with a cape, and it's going to be called Super Bone. Er, that's good. <laughs> what I think I want to go with is uh, I want to go with my my old school character, Meteor Attractor Boy, who has the ability to attract meteors to his head. There you go. And probably talks like Christopher Walken. <laughs> All right, everybody, you can head over to Major Spoilers. You can find out about this uh, maybe possible sequel to the movie Jumper. You can get this uh, sneak peek of Stanley's Soldier Zero Number 1, the first in the new uh, books from Boom I Studios. Wish, I wish he would step back from that ledge, my friend. No! Uh, and some other things that you might want to check out at Major Spoilers. We've got the Want List, a couple of new episodes up since last we talked. Uh, some positive comments on that, I think. Uh, critical hit, the Games Master Workshop comes to an end, or has come to an end, right? Yep. Which means that cool. Season 3 kicks off this weekend. So, the Celestial and Crusade. Will it be like Season 3 of Lost, where we get all these answers and more questions? No, but we will have a smoke monster. I can't tell people that right now. Uh, oh, and ooh, I'm going to tease be... both of you guys and drive you crazy for the next couple of hours. Aldo sent a new figure. <gasps> And I don't know if if uh, Aldo has been talking to someone other than me, but odd is all I can say. Mm. So we will have Aldo a picture of that in a couple of weeks whenever uh, the new character has been introduced well enough into the gameplay. So, But it's it's pretty cool. Uh, and then also we've got the uh, dueling review of Power Girl number 15. If you want to see two people get their nerd rage on, maybe more so me than Matthew. Head over to the Majorspoilers.com website and check that out, won't you? Won't you? Won't you? Hey, Matthew, how do won't people get a, get a shout-out at the top of the show? How do they get, to get you to do a, a really bad out. Christopher Wolken impersonation? Uh, well, no, that's that's what I will do. To get a shout-out on the, the Major Spoilers, you have to make a donation by pressing the button on the, the Major Spoilers page. You'll know because it's clearly labeled as such. With a watch up your butt. No, wait, never mind. <laughs> All throughout Vietnam. Click on the make a donation button. Make a donation of $10 or more. And you, my friend, will be one of the faithful spoilerites, sponsorites, uh, however, sensorites, sensodyne. And I can go on and on and on. But if you make a donation of $10 or more, then we will dedicate a show to you. I will make, I will make some joke about your name or, you know, what your name makes me think of. Or I may just do something random as I did this week for, uh, Faithful spoiler, right? And I believe previous uh, yeah, she's contributed Mel. a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Mel is one of our stalwarts. So yep. So thank her for that, and thank for everyone else thank who has donated Mella. to the show. Now, thank you for being a woman, presumably on the internet. Well, she did call in last week, so we do know that she sounds well, that's like true. A woman. Well, we know she sounds like a woman. I'm just saying there are no women on the internet. Ah, okay. I'm kidding. Mella. We did we get a, a very touching email this week, and I can't read it or I'll oh. cry. Oh, so Rodrigo, I, I, you do us the honors and, oh, and uh, read this email that we got from Vincent. Sure. I, I don't actually understand English, so this will oh, make okay, me cry. Okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
just dropping a note to tell you that while you know I am a big fan of yours, my father was as well. In fact, your podcast was a jumping off point for myself and my father to get talking again. You see, I had not spoken to him for many years, and when we finally started speaking again, we had a hard time talking, so I came up with uh, an idea of we both listen or watch something, and then once a week we called and talked about it. Well, I knew my father liked comics, and I do, so each week I downloaded your podcast and emailed him a copy. Each week we talked about the comics and what you guys thought about them. So we estab- so we had established a nice relationship talking, and it was saved thanks to major spoilers. Sadly, August 1st, my father passed on. It was hard on me, but I know he is in a better place, and I know he still listens to your cast with me. Thanks, you guys. Vincent. And I'm, I'm tearing up. So <clears throat> when, I, when I first read that, I was just, I, I seriously, I could not believe. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's hard to think when we just, you know, sit here and commit jackassery for two or three hours a week that reckless it actually, jackassery, really. <laughs> yeah, reckless, jack, that it affects people. And I, you know, I forget about that. You know, you, li- you will listen to the show and you're like, man, I really screwed that up or I sounded terrible. And I'm like, you know, then this comes in and I'm like, wow. Yeah, That's deep I, I, yeah, Matthew. <laughs> no, Matthew is speechless. Yeah, yeah, I was too. Happen. And I, uh, you know, that uh, is really nice. I'm glad that uh, that was, you know, we were able to do something like that, even unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was something that you guys could could have during that time, and we're glad it was able to uh, to bring you and your father together for the for the last time that you guys had together. Yeah. So excellent. Now let me take issue with you downloading and just sharing copies of. Uh, actually, hey, I do hey. like the fact that people share copies with oh, other yeah, people, definitely. and I've encouraged people before to make copies and send them out and give them to people or do whatever, hand them out at shows, whatever. But uh, yeah, let us uh, let us know, listeners, uh, how has major spoilers affected your life mm-hmm. besides just keeping you up until all hours of the morning? Dear Stephen and Rodrigo, well, I I tried to contact your website Casey has kept me up till all hours of the morning. But, uh, and so, now a long distance dedication from Matthew. That's because I kept trying to like exit soaks. out of this with an upbeat song, and he just like couldn't stand that part. Yeah, <laughs> Dear like, that was that was a great And now humpity hump me by <laughs> Katy Perry. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for that letter, Vincent. Really, we are glad that uh, we were able to be that yeah. conduit for you, and it was really a touching letter for for us to uh, to read and and uh, receive. So thank you so much. All right, all of the. Uh, Stuff is out of the way there. Let's get to the meat of the show and talk about some reviews. Reviews, you know, you know when it's real. Meatloaf rating. Mm. Yeah. No, so we got a, a couple one, of uh, different books. Actually, we do not have a book from one of the big three this this week, mm-hmm. which is odd. Who's the big three? Uh, it would be um, DC, mm-hmm. Marvel, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. and of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dark Horse. Dark Horse. Of course. <laughs> yeah, this week we've got two books. <laughs> this week we've got uh, two books uh, uh, we from IDW Publishing, and we also have a truly independent book that Rodrigo will, will uh, review for us. Mm-hmm. So let's bookend uh, Rodrigo's review with some IDW action. Uh, this week I had a chance to pick up from IDW, or last week, uh, it, the terror from beyond space, the midnight movies adaptation that IDW has been doing. This is issue number two. And for some reason I have not read issue number one, but if you're familiar with the it storyline, 
Uh, this is an adaptation of that, and I think it does it a pretty pretty well uh, from the 1950s. This features essentially the monster getting loose on the ship, mm. and everybody trying to figure out ways of battling it. Um, going from "We don't believe your crazy story," cat, the only survivor on the planet that we found, uh, to actually believing the person, to trying to figure out ways of killing it, and uh, this is a truly uh, 1958 inspired story because they have uh, women uh, on the ship. Not that that's odd, but uh, women who are exobiologists who are serving coffee. Right. Yes. And uh, many moments where the doctor gets a little teared, tear in her eye, you know, sob kind of thing mm-hmm. because her love interest was killed on the planet or killed by the monster. And then we get the implications at the end that the monster was actually brought on board by orders from the government. So it's, it's a pretty straightforward monster story. You could see how this very much leads or could have inspired movies like alien could have inspired movies like, uh, I don't know, you name the monster movie loose on the ship. Uh, and that's kind of what this is. It's a nice cast of characters. There's uh, it's certainly a nice mix of characters, uh, from different ethnicities, which is something really, probably in the 1950s, you didn't see too much in that mainstream Mm -hmm. movies. Uh, so that's nice. The technology is that cheesy 1950s stuff where people are using uh, these faked up laser guns mm-hmm. that are supposed to be the real deal. Uh, the monster, <laughs> even drawn on the page, looks like a big cheesy rubber monster. Nice. Uh, and I like that. It's it's a good story. It uh, It's it's just a good story. I mean, it, it's a pretty good adaptation. Builds upon what we've seen before. The art is nice. Uh, the art is by... Let me see who I can butcher, whose name I can butcher. Um, Mark Dos Santos, or Dos Santos. Um, and so Mark it's, Dos Equis. And it's really, really good. I liked it. I'm going to give this one four slices of meatloaf. Nice. Because it is that good. And it's uh, the second issue, and I was able to pick it up and figure out what was going on within the first page or so. So that is that. It, the terror from beyond space. Ooh. Ooh. Now, Rodrigo, you actually took a chance on a very independent book this week. That's right. I read Enforcers, number one. Is Art Anderson in this? I don't think so. This is... uh, Sorry, let me just double check here so I don't actually butcher their company name. Is it... It, I thought, let's see, uh, 3JP Comics. 3JP Comics. Yes. Um, it was pretty interesting. Like, uh, a lot of the time, we get these kind of, these, these companies we we haven't heard of mm-hmm. before, and I was not familiar with these guys at all. And a lot of the time, it's kind of lackluster art and kind of cheesy dialogue and stuff like that. Just, it seems that... Uh, a lot of the time, people are just really trying to break into the industry with their super duper pet project from back when they were twelve. Yeah, um, and it doesn't always work. But this, this is a, this is definitely better than that. Okay, um, that's good. Yeah, that's a, that, as a jumping on point. That's good. Um, Enforcers is the story of a soldier who um, works for the government. And is now basically being turned loose on the drug scene back in the United States. He's kind of like a an offshore wet works kind of guy. Mm-hmm. 
and is now back in the States um, kicking butt and basically training a new task force to take on drugs. Okay. So that's cool. What's unfortunately not all, and, and, and I was reading this and I was like, okay, cool. You know, this is, this is a story about a military guy who then comes back to the U.S. to fight drug cartels. Right. Very, uh, what you would expect, uh, uh, Chuck Norris to do if right. he were, if he were a movie back this, in the eighties, you know, I, I I'm I'm looking at this and I'm like I can totally see Wesley Snipes doing this, you yeah. know. I mean this this looks solid in that sense. And then unfortunately for me, I mean as far as I and, and maybe it'll it'll really pick up from this. It takes a turn for the sci-fi. Uh oh. Um, the drug lords are aliens. No, the the main character, um, is was part of this project that is basically slowly giving him superhuman abilities. Oh. And of course, there were two people in this project. Mm-hmm. And right now, the other person in the project is working with the drug lords. Oh. Yeah. Um and 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 it's it's funny that, you know, a lot of the time I'll see something and I'm like, well, you know, if this was a little bit more sci-fi, I would, you know, I mean, I mean, I make the comment about <laughs> something not having something not having enough dinosaurs and robots <laughs> in it, and unfortunately for this, having dinosaurs and robots in it kind of makes it a little bit more cliche. It's right. like, it, you know, and it's funny. I, I, it might be because it's comics that the moment when you start turning these guys into superheroes and supervillains, it makes them a little bit less interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. The art is pretty good. I mean, there, it's not the best thing I've ever seen, but it's definitely solid. Um, you can tell who everybody is most of the like pretty much all the time. Right. Um, the dialogue, like the story itself, is fine. The dialogue seemed a little contrived at times, and sometimes it it really seemed that uh, characters. It's it's like they were telling us, oh, no, check it out, man. These characters are cool as opposed to actually just letting the characters be cool on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, all in all, it's it's kind of... I, I'm, I'm really kind of in the right in the middle with it. Um, I hope that it turns out that the super-powered aspect of it is downplayed for a little bit more kind of drugs and violence angle rather than a superhero's angle yeah you know the art i'm, I'm flipping through this now the art actually is not bad i mean yeah, this is no, it's, it's on solid. par with uh, what you would see in other definitely and that's books. and that's important this is this is on the this art is on par with something that you would see out of dc and marvel yeah it really is Certain, and, which is surprising and certainly sure. it's something that you would find out a boom or something and, and, like that or and Dynamite. that includes the coloring and the inking it's mm-hmm. really solid because yeah, when you really... hear something like 3J Productions comics or 3JP comics, yeah. you're thinking black and white. And and of course, this is not to not to put uh, these guys down. We just had never encountered them before, and right. uh, apparently they've been putting out comics for a little while, um, at least. Because mm-hmm. you know, in the in the back of the of the issue, they have uh, announcements for things they put out previously, and apparently there's a number zero issue to Enforcers somewhere kicking around there. Cool. So that's cool. Um. It's it's good, but the the market right now is saturated with superhero stuff. You know, Boom Studios really got their foot in the door by not doing superhero stuff, and then turning around which which then which stuff. then led them to be able to basically really. It's not that they're doing superhero stuff so much as they just hand Mark Wade a piece of paper right. and he just you know creates gold. Yes, 
just <laughs> makes magic happen. So, you know, I don't know how far along you're with the series. I don't know if you would even care that we're reviewing this or anything like that. But my advice to indie publishers is stay away from superheroes. And, you know, this is kind of sci-fi. This this feels a lot more like Demolition Man, except kind of good. Right. <laughs> um. So, you know, as long as you don't... if you don't have them fly. Don't stray too close to superheroes. You should be good. Um, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this three slices of meatloaf. Yeah. Um, because it it kind of caught me by surprise. D- definitely the art layout, all that stuff caught me by surprise by how good it was coming yeah, from a, is, an really in, good art. a a very indie publisher. The art um, on this is by let's see, art by Todd Smith. The story could certainly. The the dialogue could certainly improve. I don't know about the story. This this one was mostly exposition, which is also kind of a a detractor. But there's a little bit of action. You mm-hmm. know, you get to see the 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 main character being a badass, and that's fun. Um. So yeah, I'll give it um three slices of meat meatloaf, slightly better than average. And I'm looking forward to the next one, and we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, part uh, five part miniseries, The Enforcers, featuring Maddox Turner. Maddox Turner, which I, Maddox I gotta give him, Turner. I gotta give him props. It's and I, I guess a lot of the time, you know, I don't know what they're going for. I really hope that they're going for like this guy is a badass and has a badass name in a kind of slightly tongue in cheek way. And we're calling because, him Percy because Maddox Turner is kind of too much <laughs> of a of an awesome name. Maddox Turner. Why not just name him Howitzer Explosion Guy? Well, and, and, and that's kind of the deal, is that when a guy is basically, his name is two super cool last names, you're you're already kind of uh, treading on the cheese line there. But Wolf definitely Blitzer. benefit of the doubt. We'll see what number two looks like. Excellent. Thank you for that, Rodrigo. And uh, you might want to check it out. 3J Productions um, Comics or 3JP Comics. Yeah, just 3JP do a search for them. You can hit their website. They've got a nice little blog going on. That talks about their titles and uh, worth checking out, I think. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Matthew, why don't you uh, wrap up our reviews this week with some time traveling adventures? All right, I will. <laughs> uh, for about oh, almost a year and a half now, IDW uh, and Tony Lee, who I believe is the cousin of Stan, I'm not sure, have been putting out the adventures of the Tenth Doctor. Uh, from the show entitled Doctor Who, the character is not Doctor Who, thank you, drive through, um, in comic book form. And they've been doing this for a while now, of course. They started this right about the time the 11th Doctor came to television. So now Tony is writing the final adventure in the comics of the 10th Doctor, David Tennant. They've been, he, the Doctor has been interacting with this unknown person from space called the Advocate which is kind of neat. He's got a couple of uh, companions with him from the 1930s in Hollywood, and the Advocate has finally captured the Doctor and captured all of the people. And this whole episode ties together literally like 15 different storylines. All of the things that have been building up throughout the 14-issue arc, the annual, and even a couple of previous miniseries are tying together now, kind of the way the Doctor Who, uh, the new series, has been doing the big bad at the end of the season. Right. Tying everything together. And you realize that there have been hints and alligators all the way through the season, season in quotes, to find out what's really going on. It turns out that Emily, one of his sidekicks, is a static point in space and time, 
we're not sure what this is all about. But it turns out that the aliens who have been trying to settle, uh, colonize this planet are actually descendants of humans. So they're not the soul free. They are from soul three. Ooh. So the doctor, you know, throughout this whole issue, the doctor is interacting with um, agents of Torchwood and people who keep wanting him to try and take charge. And he stoically refuses to take charge. Right. It's really well written. I've said from the beginning that Tony Lee knows his Doctor Who backward and forward. Mm-hmm. There are references to previous doctors, previous interactions, and his David Tennant dialogue is just dead on. Nice. But this issue, yeah, his David Tennant. And David Tennant is hard. You know, it's hard to enunciate what it is because the character was so verbal. That moment where he, you know, he'd say something and then he'd reconsider and he'd be like, well, you know, right, Tony right, Lee throws right, right. that in. And the moments where he's like, all right, everyone, allons You know, you hear that. You can clearly hear the voice of David Tennant. And then he gets to have those long and involved, you know, psychobabble speeches. But at the end of this issue, the Tefari, the aliens from outside space and time from like 12 issues ago, have teamed up with the Advocate from like six issues ago to try and figure out this whole evil plot from like 14 issues ago. And it really is, you know, it's part one of three on the big season finale. Oh, cool. The, yeah, the annual a couple of months ago was just unbelievably good, and this issue keeps up the quality. The covers have been by Paul Grist. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-mm. But the interior art on this particular issue is by Matthew Smith, and it's actually kind of weird because he has sort of a almost a Mike Mignola feel to it. Yeah. With the big dark patches and his faces are really expressive without being like photorealistic in some of the wide shots, you know, they'll, they'll give you the outline of a face and it's still really expressive, even though it's just kind of a caricature, mm-hmm. you know, his 10th uh, doctor is awesome. And the characters are always very recognizable and he always has the big shock of hair and the, you know, he's the skinny guy in the blue suit overall IDW's doctor who ongoing has been a really good series. This issue Four slices of meatloaf from me. Wow. There are a couple of there are a couple of things with, you know, the plots that right now are still unclear. So there's some obscurity there, and there's a moment where, and of course, this is a Doctor Who staple where the Doctor makes a leap of faith, and then you're like, what? Huh? You know, he he has the logical moment. He's like, oh, it's perfectly logical because of this and this and this and this, and you're just like, wow, he really is an alien being with a super brain. Mm-hmm. But big kudos, big props to Tony Lee, because it's obvious that Doctor Who is something that he or she, I think Tony is a he, just loves to death. And as adaptations go, you know, it's it's non-canonical, I know, but this is damn close to being as awesome as the canon stories. And that's hard to do in an adaptation. Very nice. Very cool indeed. So, Matthew, have you been reading? I mean, obviously, you've been reading this series uh, mm-hmm. since it came out, but do you read the other Doctor Who books like the ID, uh, the IDW puts out, I think, like Doctor Who classics, and mm-hmm. did you ever go and collect the Doctor Who magazine that actually had those comic books in it from from the 80s and stuff? My, I love Doctor Who uh, magazine up to a point. What I really love is collecting Doctor Who magazine from 1989 to 2005 mm-hmm. because there's no new Doctor Who television material so they'll delve into things and they'll like do like four part exposés of what city of death really meant. Mm. 
And wow. you'll, you'll have an interview with the guy who was like, I was extra number five years ago in the Celestial Toymaker. And right. this episode doesn't exist anymore, but here's what it was like. I loved that insane attention to detail. And, of course, when the new series came out, it really became a magazine about the production of the new series as much as anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. But, I, yeah, I love some of those. There's one, um, there's one cartoon called Happy Death Day where all eight incarnations of the Doctor come together to fight off the Beige Guardian, who's mad because the other Guardians got all the good colors. Nice. And it's completely tongue-in-cheek, and there's a sequence where the fourth Doctor and the seventh Doctor are talking about you know, uh, new bodies and new allergies and like 50,000 villains are running down and this whole army is coming down on them. And the two of them are talking uh, once I ate some haddock and my teeth were got itchy and skin turned blue. And as these, the army is about to descend on, they both turn around with their sonic screwdrivers and bring down a cliff, killing everybody, crushing all of these aliens. And he's like, and don't even get me started. I couldn't pronounce the letter Q for half an hour. Ah, that's funny. Yeah. It was just a beautiful moment. I love all those old things. Well, cool. So there's a couple of books for people to check out um, yeah. this week. Three, I think, fairly good, well-received books by the uh, by the crew here this week. Yep. All right. Reviews out of the way. And, of course, you can find more reviews over at the Majorspoilers.com website. Although the site, you know, to be honest with you, I've got a lot going on this week. So the site may not be as lively as it has been mm. uh, in the last couple of weeks. You should still go. I, I say people should check go. Check it out. Like, Five, from, six. From different computers. Ten times a day from yeah. different computers. Ten different times a day. Make sure you click on all the links and the buttons. Well, and actually, if people, if people aren't going to donate to the show, what they could do is click on all of our advertisers. At mm. least if you're not going to buy anything, you can still click, and that helps us out as yep. well. So, But Absolutely. that being said. You slackers. That being said, please buy from our advertisers. Yes, <laughs> Or from right. us. We have t-shirts. Yes, t-shirts. And we may have some more exactly. in the near future if I ever get my ass in gear. So. Nah, I doubt that. And so do I. <laughs> Quite so honestly, do I. so do I. All well, right, we're not everybody. sure they have a gear big enough to move your ass at this point. Reviews are done, which means now it is it's time for... time for the millions in attendance and the three guys who are staring into computer screens right now. It's time for what we have now come to call POW! Biff Bam, the major spoilers. <laughs> Pull of the week. This week, alien thingies from beyond the wherever come to eat your brain and assimilate your girlfriend and touch her in ways that you never get to anymore. Lissa. <laughs> Hailing from the Delta Quadrant. Numbering 14,057,000 out of 14,057,001. Resistance is futile. They are the Borg. You have to say that like Patrick Stewart, by the way. Okay. And hailing from the planet Mondas in the Dark Galaxy. Their opponents. They stomp and they stomp, and originally they looked like a guy with an accordion wearing a silver hat. You will not stop them, for you will be deleted. They are the Cybermen. Cyborg Smackdown, go! All right. Rodrigo, Borg, Cybermen. I don't know. I think that both of these guys suffer from, uh, and, and you know, granted, this is this would be a, a fight between them, but they suffer from 
in my opinion, not being the coolest guys in their universe. Yeah. I mean, the the Cybermen seem, although, you know, of course, a Cyberman would kill me just as quickly. They don't seem as impressive as the Daleks since, you know, they have some humanity particles in them. Right. Um, And the Borg are not as frightening as the Ferengi. Really? <laughs> well, those guys have butts for heads. <laughs> and fangs. Yeah. Um, no, I, I honestly, I guess the uh, the Borg are probably a little scarier because they actually, you can still kind of see the person that that person used to be. Right. Um, and that's, that's a little bit more intimidating that uh, getting turned into something that presumably folds up its arms and legs and already has a handle for you to pick up. <laughs> um, so I would go with the Borg as far as which one is uh, more intimidating and probably who would win in a fight. Because I, I think the Borg do it a little faster, too, yes. the whole assimilation thing. Yeah, and the fact for the... Uh, for me, I went with the Borg as well, simply because the Cybermen start shooting mm-hmm. and the Borg instantly, within a few shots, have the shields modulated to, uh, to deflect any kind of uh, shot that the right. Cybermen might fire. And quite frankly... Cybermen really, I don't think, are that technically advanced. I mean, they are because they're taking your body parts and turning right. them in, but they are not as adaptive as uh, as, as the, the Borg, Borg are. Yeah. So I, I pick the Borg. Matthew, what about you? Oh, you're both wrong. Of course we are. <laughs> well, and it's not for the reason that you think, actually. And generally, I do tend to go old school because... I'm just that, you know, old school hipster doofus guy who's like, you just don't understand what happened in what if number nine when they all came together. But really, if you look at the history of the Cybermen, first of all, the Cybermen were from 1966, I think. Uh And in 1966, the Cybermen were created as an alien race who gave up their humanity to become more human, sort of. And eventually turned into these, you know, cyborg monsters powered by human brains. Right. And there's, you know, a lot of implication that they're going in there, taking people and transforming them. Um, there's an episode called The Wheel in Space that my daughter and I watched recently with little cybermats that are little bugs that convert you into a cyberman. And Molly used to run around and pretend to be a cybermat and be like, near, near, I am a robot. But. Recently, she and I started watching Next Gen again because yeah. Next Gen is in syndication. And oh, after watching Next Generation, near, near, I thought you were talking about Next Gen, the comic no, book. the Next Gen Star Trek, the Next Generation. I thought oh, you meant okay. that Pepsi campaign. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we're watching the episode where the Borg first show up, and they teleport over, and they're running through the Borg ship, and you know the Borg are like, "We are Borg, rah rah." Right. And Molly said to me, "These guys are just ripping off the Cybermats." Nice. Yeah. When a when a six year old can tell that something is pretty much a direct lift of another concept, I have to vote Cybermen simply because the Borg really are. Now, granted, I I feel like the Borg became something very different and eventually became something really interesting unto themselves. Right. But in their early appearances, the Borg really are basically an amalgam of Cybermen and to some degree Daleks. Because Daleks, I think, had the, you know, the I think I think the the Borg and, and and I could just have my uh, time stream confused here, but I think the Borg are kind of a ripoff of the Phalanx, which is in turn a ripoff of the Cybermen. I believe the Phalanx came after the Borg because the Borg it? came in like eighty eight. Okay, 
I want to say, but I voted for the Cybermen because essentially, especially in their early appearances, the Borg are essentially the Cybermen translated, transliterated into that Star Trek universe. Hmm. I think the first appearance of the Borg was in a first season episode of Next Gen, which would make it 86. I want to say it was either Conspiracy or The Neutral Zone. Well, it had to do um, with Q because Q basically said, "Oh, you guys think you're two big smarty pants. Well, let's see what happens right, but when we do this." Flick. Bef- flick before that, universe. though, before that, they had um, the colon. The thing about the subplot about the colonies missing—that was the introduction of the Borg, where those ah. they said that the whole thing was like scooped up out of the sky. And yeah. I want to say it was in the neutral zone because the Romulans got involved. Mm. Um, Romulans, friggin' Romulans! I know, right? But it's like it's a first season episode. It's from like 1986 or 88. It's an even numbered year. I know that. But <laughs> but in any case, yeah, I mean, I believe the Phalanx came out after. Well, no, because Warlock first appeared in New Mutants number 20 from 20, which would have been right. If not before that, then yeah, you may be right. I don't know. Either way, it was Cyberman, close. You will be deleted. So, um... Resistance is futile. Also comes from the Daleks. The Daleks say resistance is futile. If if I see this correctly over at the wiki, it says their first introduction to the franchise in the episode entitled Q-Who? So you are right. It was the Q episode. Yeah, because he just flicks them and says, hey, up yours. This would have been episode two... I'm sorry, uh, season two, episode 16. I remember the episode where Q is like, oh, you think you're so smart, and he flips them across the galaxy, and then they have to fight Borg. I think you were right, though, on the date, May 8th, 1989. I think is what you said, 88, 89, somewhere around there. 88, yeah, I said either 88 or 86. Yeah, so you were right. (laughs) Trying to cover for you, Matthew. Make you look good. It's all right, you were right, too. No, no, I I relied on the wiki. Wiki! well... What did the, uh, so what you're the... saying is I'm bluffing and you're using the wiki to discredit me before I'm even credited. <laughs> yes, but he is doing it politely, which yes. is what counts. So Schmitt. I want to know what everybody else thinks about this uh, poll of the week. I, I, I'm surprised. 27 comments. And I yeah. haven't even looked at them this afternoon. I'm sure a lot of them is back and forth going, ha-ah, yaha, yaha. 300 votes. 304 at my last count. 59%. And of course, this is because of the horrible picture that you chose for the Cybermen. Uh, three, 59% of that 300 are saying the Borg. Look, 41, so they're still fighting, say the Cybermen. He could have, he could have just put a picture of super sexy seven of nine. Yes, instead of, and, and then it would, and then they would have gotten a lot more votes than they got. Uh, Rob says, as much as I can't stand Star Trek, I have to say Borg. Uh, Brian G, since I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who, I have to vote for the Borg. Uh, Ken says, I've seen and, and love both, and I have to go with the Borg. He says that I think the battle, uh, I think that in a battle, the Borg would simply adapt their shields to the Cybermen's lasers and render them useless. Also, the Borg have huge cubes uh, that can rain, oh, okay, they have huge cubes that can rain death from a space. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, the Cybermen have, like, a giant Cyberman Voltron. So, I, yeah, you know, if you, if you talk Cyberman. about who has the most ridiculous technology they're both pretty ridiculous oh i think if you went ridiculous technology cybermen would win all the way there well dan jr brings up my point cybermen can think for themselves borg or mindless soldiers that's, that that's follow a common too. collective 
And we saw what happened when you separate the Borg from their collective. There were there have been like two really and, great episodes off the top of my head. Well, we've got the whole seven of nine thing, but there was also that whole yeah, thing where uh, next generation where they did that as well. Yeah, Hugh. Yep. Yeah. Hugh. Also uh, worth noting. You attack from the sky. Ah, oh, we are attacking. And then the Cybermen travel back to 10 minutes before you got here and set up, uh, you know, an ambush and kill you before you ever arrived. Yep. Uh, uh, Slappy says uh, the Cybermen were created first when they win. Right. Yep. And the Cybermen are like, remember a trash can. Yes. Resisting the trash can is futile. Oh, I like what St. Ash says. He says, Cybermen all the way. You can come back from being turned into a Borg. You're screwed if you become a Cyberman. That's true. True. If you remember what happened to uh, the most horrifying moment in Doctor Who the entire third season is when they're trying to find Jackie and alternate Jackie shows up. This unit is Jackie Tyler. And you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's her brain. Yep. It's horrible. Uh, who's this? Tidge says just to wrap this up. I vote Cybermen. Number one, they have cyber pets. Number two, they <laughs> build steampunk cyber Gundam to trash Victorian era London just because. <laughs> Well, Tidge has a very good point. Yeah, that is. I like that episode. That was next week. Q versus the Doctor. Now, I think it's going to be Q uh, versus Wolf versus the the Borg. Uh There you go. The winner of this battle goes on to take on uh, Lon Chaney, uh, Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney, Chaney and uh, Boris Karloff. Yep, exactly. That's exactly. That'd be kind of interesting because the Borg. Are replacing their parts, and Frankenstein is made up of parts. Yep, interesting. And, and, and the Wolfman can dance. Speaking of wolves, Wolfman's uh, got an We want you. We didn't get any uh, listener email this week. <gasps> sure, we they did. Hate us, and oh, we did get. I mean, do, we got a listener email. We didn't do get the listener, phone calls this week. Do the listener email. Come on, do the listener. Okay, do the music. Bring. Hello. This is Pop Mario calling you from the board collective in Cyberman space. I would like to say. That I really like the lone wolf and the cub, especially the part where Jerry Ryan shows up in his skin-tight cat suit and eventually ends up making out with the girl from uh, Doctor Who Season 16. That's my favorite part, though I may have dreamed that. Great show, as always. Uh, I'd send you money, but I don't have any because I'm Pope Mario. Uh, Excelsior! Love, honor. All right. <laughs> we want you to become part of the Major Spoilers experience shame on you for people who didn't do that this week we also want you to become part of the of the major spoilers experience by contributing some thoughts and ideas uh, for the want list we we're showcasing some of those mm-hmm. people this week as well but we want you to be part of this show the podcast we want you to call us at 785-727-1939 the major spoilers hotline you, you took my line oh i'm sorry uh, we want you to be part of the podcast matthew who do you call well, you can't throw me a bone after that. We'll just move on. Three, two, one. Hello! <laughs> All right, so this week, uh, I think it was me that came up with this. I thought we would take a look at Lone Wolf and Cub Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Break it down for or us, as, Matthew. As we like to call it, years ago in Imperial Japan, you Ogami Ito, or perhaps Ogami Ito. I'm going to say Ogami Ito. The executioner for the Shogun with a magic sword or something is disgraced by false accusations from a rival clan and forced to take on the path of Ronin Assassin. Carrying along his son, whose name is apparently uh, Daihatsu. 
They seek revenge on the Yagayu clan and are known as Lone Wolf and Cub. Arr- so, Rodrigo, give us some uh, some details on this story, would you please? Right. So, I mean, that's a good overview. Yeah. But, I mean, fill us in on, on really what's going on in this book. Yeah, Lone Wolf and Cub, the, the first volume, is um, really kind of a... Um, each individual... Uh, it's it's basically several different stories, right? Largely unconnected, mm-hmm. in which Lone Wolf and Cub, yes, kill someone yes. at the end. They are hired <laughs> to assassinate someone, um, and they end up. And, and for the most part, do, do they do kill the person that they yeah. were hired to kill, um, except for in they, one story where someone was killed ahead of time. He has um, a. A few rules, you know. He likes to be given at least half up front. Yeah. Up front, mm-hmm. um, although sometimes he will waive that. Yes, he needs to be told why that person needs to be killed, and and he expects the truth, and too. he expects the truth. And you know, yep. he's a total badass, so he can tell when you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that line. If you lie, make it good. Yeah. Um, because he says he doesn't want anything coming back and biting him in the ass. Like, he right. doesn't want to go and kill someone and then find out that there's somebody extremely important or who has a lot more resources than he thought and so on and so forth. Right. Um, and basically, in a totally unashamed way, constantly uses his three-year-old yes. son to assass- <laughs> as bait to assassinate people. Oh, where to begin with this? Okay, first of all, Assassin Warrior. That's cool right. idea, bad idea. Yep. That's a cool idea. I think um, going around, you know, the, the assassin for hire mm-hmm. in uh, feudal Japan is is an interesting concept and one mm-hmm. that it's probably not entirely new as far as a concept or an idea, but one that we've certainly seen arise in other places. And certainly stories like this have been adapted into American stories of, sim- of uh, similar nature. Um, but I like the fact that here is somebody that does have a set of rules. You have to tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And if you're telling the truth, or if you're not telling the truth, and I find out about it, you're in trouble. And I like that concept that he has at least, even as a disgraced warrior, he still has much honor in the method about, that he goes about killing. It's not like he shows up to his, uh, his target, and the target says, well, I'll pay you extra money to go back and kill my... To kill the person who hired you, you know he's still, exactly. you know he's not playing sides against one another. He mm-hmm. goes and does the job, and as we see again and again and again in this series, in this volume, he does the job. Yep, in very bloody yep. ways. Yep, and so um, he he's got some very cool weapons that he keeps hidden in his, his little in his baby stroller. His baby stroller, you know, he pulls off the handle and it turns into a. You know, what is that what is that weapon called? Uh, it's not really a pike, and, but I mean, well, it's, it's like, like a, a naginata. Okay. Naginata, yeah. Which is very cool. Don't know the name of it, but big mm-hmm. sword on the end. Yep. And you can slice yeah. and dice and he's got knives. It's like a, a spear with a sword blade is a naginata. Yeah. And he's got the little katana thing that he's it. chopping people left and right with. And so there are points in this in this he's got Things get very bloody. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you're going to see decapitations. Now, it's not it's not grotesque bloody, and we'll talk about the art in just a little bit. It's not grotesque bu- bloody. Right. It's not like you're seeing people's intestines spill upon the ground and dogs chewing on those intestines. But it's very clear, like, hyper... Um, yeah. It's like pop art bloody, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. What... 
It's, an, drives, it's an adult entertainment in a Oh, way. it certainly is, because in addition to that, there's lots of boobies. Mm. Yeah, lots and lots and lots of them. What, uh, what drives Ogami? I think, I, and, and definitely you find out at the end that he has a mission that he's eventually hoping to, uh, to fulfill, but until he gets there, he is basically, he wants to provide for his son. Mm-hmm. So he does what he does best, which is murderize people. Right. Um, so, you know, he has his own code of ethics, which isn't really, you know, what you would think of necessarily as ethical, obviously, as we've seen using his own son and everything. Right. You know, he walks into some place and realizes that he's just going to get destroyed if he saves a woman from being raped. Right. So he just sits there and watches a woman get raped and yeah, killed. Yeah. 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 Um, and then her father or, or whoever was coming to her defense also killed and, you know, doesn't do anything and doesn't seem to flinch at all. Right. Um, yeah, because he's not getting paid. Why should I step in if I'm not getting paid? I, see, I don't, I, that I don't was think it's that story. either. I think that was I don't, an odd Yeah, story. I don't think that's what it is. That's what he says a lot of the time. Yeah. But that's just to throw off the, you know, like, the the bad guys then immediately assume that he's got no teeth. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well... You would have done something if you were an actual badass Ronin, so we don't care. Um, and then he's like, "Let badass Ronin, I'll show you badass Ronin." Yep, pile of dead bodies. Yep. But the not until the end, when he has sufficiently, you know, <laughs> drawn uh, the story out a couple. Yep, more drawn pages. the story out for two pages <laughs> and let everybody explain to him why he should be doing things. And then he's like, "But that okay, tension really makes." Uh, I don't know. I think it makes him the central character and it may just be my you know my relative uh newbiness i guess to the manga but i mean that tension really draws out the character because i don't know for sure whether or not you know ito is really this terrible thing or not you know i don't have the slightest idea while he's sitting there and these things are taking place i'm trying to figure out you know what's his angle What's the shtick here? Because again, I'm used to more of an American uh, comic book. And then I, you know, I looked this up, and apparently this story or these beginning stories started coming out in like 1970. Yeah, yeah, they've, they're old. Yeah. This so is, then I started thinking about things. Oh yeah. Then I started about thinking about things that uh, you know in the last 35 years of comics that I've really enjoyed, like uh, Archie Goodwin's Manhunter with art by um, uh, Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. And I start to look at, you know, um, Frank Miller's Wolverine limited series, all these things that I know that I'm you know familiar with. And then I'm seeing these overtones here. I really like the fact that his morality isn't black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't a superhero character. This is a character certainly with superheroic tendencies. And obviously, you know, he's a, a level 27 fighter with like 19 feats or something. Mm. He's got a lot of dailies, but I read this and I especially read the sequences having to do with the moments where his ideology is so opaque. And I'm like, wow, this is fascinating to read, even though, you know, I feel terrible at certain sequences. There's the one point where the woman is pretending not to be a woman. And apparently she's trying to ask if she can borrow his baby to breastfeed his baby. Right. Mm-hmm. And that whole sequence is so odd to me, and yet he just does that whole thing where he's like, I'm the best there is at what I do. Yep. Yeah, and he's and very matter-of-fact in that sequence. Hey, my kid needs to yep. eat. 
you're in need to get yeah. rid of the milk, go for it. Not yeah. weird to me. And there's yeah, there's little bits and pieces in here of what Batman becomes in that yeah. he's always a step ahead. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's kind of and and I I was really kicking myself for making that that thing because I'm like I don't want to compare this guy to ba- Batman, but I think what what this character is with this samurai assassin is is he's batman without the bruce wayne he's batman with nothing to lose right literally with pretty much nothing to lose except his son Mm -hmm. um and as we learn by the very end he kind of makes this bond where you know he understands that he is not going to lose his son Mm -hmm. him and his son are bonded forever right um and he and, believes that to an extent where it doesn't matter mm-hmm. whether that's true or not mm-hmm. to him certainly but you know he whereas you know batman would find a way to stop the bad guys from doing minor bad things before you know kicking their butts this guy just sits there because he knows that yeah. until the perfect moment mm-hmm. he has to let them you know rape and pillage mm-hmm. and then he's going to take them down right right and he's going like, to take them like down he's... because he feels that it's appropriate to take them down, not because everybody else around him wants them taken down. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes around and, and murders perfectly law-abiding people mm-hmm. because they he gets paid to do it, but he agrees to do it because they they have somehow violated his code of ethics, which is kind of alien, mm-hmm. at least, you know, to an American audience. But I think to what makes it appealing is that you kind of have to figure out what his code of ethics is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like playing Mao with somebody who wants to kill you. Right, right. Yeah. It's not all spelled out, and every chapter, and I believe every chapter was initially serialized separately of what we're reading here, if I'm not mistaken. But every chapter starts with, you know, that that complete blind moment. You know, here we are, and we're uh, on the road, and then we hear, gara, 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 gara. Or we're crossing a bridge, or there's these nine naked women and they're threatening to kill people, and I'm not sure what it's all about. But no matter what happens, you get to that point in the story where you're like, okay, dramatically, here's where it should make sense for him to come in, and then he comes in. And, you know, Rodrigo's love of Samurai Jack, I'm surprised he hasn't mentioned it yet either. Obvious. uh, This is an obvious influence on that. I didn't want to get into your... uh into your um, Mako impression. <laughs> oh, are you mocking my Mako? Oh, <laughs> well, get then, we have, then we have the kid, and, and really some people who've not be familiar with this book going, why is a, you know, a Ronan walking around with a, a one-year-old, three-year-old mm-hmm. in his, his arms? Where's cool. the mom? Well, the, the wife gave birth to the kid, and then all these ninja assassins came in and killed everybody but the kid. Mm-hmm. And... Right. Um, uh, Ogami basically said if the kid, he had two items that he laid out in front of the kid. If the kid goes for a ball, he was going to kill the kid, his own kid, so it could be with his mother. Mm-hmm. If the kid went to the sword, he was going to keep the kid, and, and together they would uh, avenge yes. the deaths. They of, would of lay waste to the countryside. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I don't know. Uh, he does put his child in a lot of yes. very dangerous, luring situations that he's got to trust that he knows what he's doing so I his think, kid doesn't, doesn't I think die but i mean here's a part where he just basically throws the kid in the river yeah and someone thinks the kid's drowning the guy jumps in 
uh, is drawn away from the caravan, jumps in to save this kid. Meanwhile, dad's underwater and kills the guy, comes yep. out, and the kid's safe. You know, it's just like, yep. uh, I don't think I'd do that just with any kid. And right. and this this series kind of creates this conceit, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't be able, if, if, assuming the series continues this way, that I wouldn't be able to continue reading it. Not because of, like, the gross negligence of, of him doing this to this <laughs> yeah. child, because, right. again, that's kind of part of the conceit. It's the thing that... It's always going to work out, and he mm-hmm. has already figured this out from the beginning. Right. Um, and granted, at the like the second to last story in this volume, I think the one with the warrior women, mm-hmm. like that was they, actually an interesting they do, story. And it's an interesting story because it breaks the convention. The it, it breaks the part. convention that they established beforehand, right? Um, where they actually do get one up on him briefly, and then he, you know, mm-hmm. backflips back onto the the horse, right? Um, and that's and that's that's cool though because you do want to see him come out ahead. But the fact that most of the time the story becomes put kid in danger to lure out bad guys, mm-hmm. kill bad guys, mm-hmm. learn story, yeah. kill more bad guys, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's that um, was my, with like slight variations. That was my biggest problem after I finished this whole volume. It's like I was telling Matthew. I said, "Well, you know, you could probably almost read the first three chapters or the mm-hmm. first three issues, and." Yeah you know what's going to happen in the rest of the book because it is the same setup. I mean, granted, yeah. it's different characters and it would be different if there was some kind of a moralistic tale that you learn at the end of each one, but... But it isn't. Well, it's, but this it is, is like the Seinfeld but, of mor- of murder. <laughs> yes. It's more, like, it's more like a Sestina to me in that you have that specific, that pattern where it has to fit the Sestina pattern or else it's not a Sestina. It's not that kind of poem. Yeah, and I go through this and I'm like, okay, well, obviously you have to fit the pattern. And those early tales, you know, if, if you're just looking at them, there's a similarity to all of them. Yeah, but there's enough difference. And the way they're drawn is just so lush that it's like watching an artist play within a format that's restrictive intentionally to say, here's how I can be you know, really creative in that restrictive format. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love the detail. I love the use of the blacks and the grays. I'm not sure if this has ever been reprinted in color, but I don't think I'd want to read it if it were. This I, is a story. Yeah, honestly, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what Dark Horse has done with those single issues mm. when they were publishing them. I know the covers were always in, right. in color. And I know that, you know, reading it, I'm going to let on a, a horrible secret. This is the first time I have ever touched a Lone Wolf and Cub comic. <gasps> I know, right? You mean you didn't read them when they originally came out in uh-huh. 1970 through 1976? Nope. And I didn't read them when they were being reprinted by Epic, and I didn't read them when we were being imprinted by uh, Dark Horse. But if it makes you feel any better, I never read Akira until I saw the movie in 96. So, ah, well, there you go. It's It's something that... I look at this art and I'm just like, wow, this is amazing work and not just amazing work in terms of, you know, figure drawing or, you know, any type of real aspect. There's I think I'm looking at like page 70 of the book that I have where the nine, I think they are Netsuki, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) come out of the darkness and they are the big mushroom headed guys. And just looking at the the line work in that panel and yeah. the use of the blacks and the use of, you know, all of the texture, it's just amazing. And then we cut to the next page where it's nothing but a floating head, just mm-hmm. a headshot with a great big balloon. But you look at that, that point work around him 
Right. And the work in his, you know, in his little battle jacket, I don't know if you'd call it, I don't know what you'd call it. Let's say a gi. Kimono. You know, you look, that'll work too. You look at the amount of work that goes into even the simplest panel. And it's amazing, you know, based on what I've seen in terms of month to month comics work in America, especially during, you know, some of the fallow times in the early 90s and the mid 70s, where, you know, the book is obviously being cranked out on a time frame. You look at this and it's just like there's obviously this is a labor of love. Mm -hmm. This is something where, you know, obviously the artist just sat down and took this apart in his head and tried as hard as he could to make even those simple moments, even something where it's just a talking head and he's just saying, Oh, I am the best series at what I do. You know, it, going through that moment, there's such depth. And I think it's, it, look at the uh, second page where we first in right. this volume, see the baby carriage, look at the side of the baby carriage and the texture in the wood. Right. And the wheels, I'm like, oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah, this is a, you know, when you look at this, it's a very, um, a lot of, I don't know what I would coin a traditional type of uh, art style that mm -hmm. people, again, that's kind of being very generic or very, I don't want to say uh, generic or oversimplistic, but this is what a lot of people think about when they mm -hmm. think of a Japanese art style. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely emulates the, like the classic kind of Edo period paintings right. And, right. and things yeah. like that. Right. And I think it's uh, largely because it's set in that period. Mm -hmm. And I think it works and works really well. And you're right. Yeah. Whenever, whenever you, you know, bring in people and, and even just the beauty of someone getting their head cut off, mm -hmm. it's yeah. done in a way that there is fluid motion in that entire thing. Yeah. You're never lost at yep. any point in, yep. in not understanding what's going on. Even if you just flip through this book for the action and, don't even read the the word balloons. Yeah. It's very clear you understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's a sequence with uh, four samurai. He meets four samurai on the road, and they're these four characters. They could be, and in some ways, you know, the if it were just line work, simple line work, they'd be pretty much identical. But each of them has, you know, a specific texture, and their clothing has a specific pattern, and their yeah. facial features, you know, are completely different. And four of them, and they're sitting in a row, and it's obviously, you know, these are men, military men of bearing who have that same stance, but even, you know, they're in that same combat stance or that same bearing where, you know, it's like they're sitting at ease and they're all in the exact same position. There are still those subtle variances in their body style and their language that are just... You could sit and just take this apart, a panel at a time. A simple picture of the sun, you know, shows up and you're just like, wow. Mm -hmm. How much time and how many years did this man work to actually develop this style and, you know, put this all together to where this book came out of it? Because this is like master level comics. Even mm -hmm. if you... Right. You know, I, I said it recently. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm really guilty of feeding into the American tendency that comics equal superheroes because I read a lot of superheroes. But if you look at this, even coming from an, a culture that's essentially, I don't want to say alien, but as far as what I grew up, as far from what I grew up in as anything, it's really approachable. And you feel like this is something that the time period is so solid and you know all of the architecture all of the animals all of the clothing is all of a piece and of a time period to where 
you look at this and you just it's it's daunting to imagine the amount of research he would have had to do mm-hmm. to draw something like this. So, I mean, just from that perspective, looking at the simple pictures on the page, you know, this has got to be years of work, years of you know craft just, and research. Yeah, but just to kind of take into the the bigger perspective of how popular that this book became, uh, original run September nineteen seventy to April of nineteen seventy six, right? The mm-hmm. very first Lone Wolf and Cub movie came out in 1972. Nice. So you figure within that first year, this had to be a huge success mm-hmm. uh, huge in Japan shit. for them to develop and want to make a movie um, off of it by 1972. Seven films yeah. total uh, that ran on this. The last one coming out in, it doesn't say, oh, uh, 74, I think. Yep. I don't oh, really, I'm I, sorry. 19, 1980 was it says was an English compilation of the film. So, um, yeah, and I believe in in, in in English they're called Baby Cart in Peril. Is that not correct? No. Um, the awesome. you have the the if you go to Wikipedia, you can actually find the English titles how, as they were released, and then the actual Japanese like a direct translation of the Japanese uh, subtitle or title. Mm-hmm. So Lone Wolf and Cubs, sort of vengeance is the the american release title but the the actual translation would be wolf with child in tow child and expertise for rent which you know makes sense <laughs> no, because definitely. that's the translation of what was on the baby cart against the winds of death yeah i i really like that last one wolf with child in tow now we go to hell diagoro <laughs> <laughs> So, obviously, so awesome. uh, for us, this is a new experience. I don't know, Rodrigo, had you read any of this before? I had I had seen kind of individual stories of, of Lone Wolf and Cub. I, you know, I didn't realize where it stood mm-hmm. historically. I mean, I, I can see this was probably an extremely important work in manga. And I can see how it has kind of, you know, like all great works, how it has a warped the the fabric of of the universe because you can see in it everything like a lot of the things that are good about um manga and anime mm-hmm. and you can see in it a lot of the things that are terrible right in in manga nowadays like that unstoppable super being main character mm-hmm. um that kind of batman syndrome of that guy that has it all figured out right. the um just uh you know the like the 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 fights that can be almost uninteresting just mm-hmm. because you know the the the, the main character is going to win them because he's such a gigantic he's, colossal he's badass just right. that damn good well you exactly. look at you look at the influences and and Frank Miller says that Lone Wolf and and Cub inspired a lot of the way that he did Sin City and his Ronin book mm-hmm. well they're right that, there uh, that damns it <laughs> if it had something to do with Sin City screw it you look Screw at right uh, here. at uh, Mac, Max Allen Collins, who wrote uh, Road to Perdition, who basically says this was my homage to Lone Wolf and Cub, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of cool. And so I suppose if you watch that movie and you or you've read the book, then you kind of understand what's going on there. And yeah, you know what? That kind of makes sense yeah. uh, in in the grand totally scheme does. of things. So, um, doesn't did Max Allen Collins also write Dick Tracy? Oh God, I hope not. Well, okay, they may have. The the movie? I hope No, I mean actually I thought he took over after Chester Arthur died. Oh yeah. No no no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the books, yeah, yeah. In the nineteen nineties, yeah, he wrote um 
comic strips and novelizations <laughs> of of the Dick Tracy series. Mm-hmm. I thought you were talking about the movie. Oh no, that no, was Madonna uh, wrote that movie. <laughs> yeah, Madonna <laughs> and Warren Beatty's hairdresser. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, I thought it was. Um, I guess for me. The biggest problem was that things seemed to be really repetitive a lot, and that mm-hmm. was the big downer. The art was fine. Uh, I guess I had. I guess if I wasn't a father of a three-year-old, I probably would could care less about putting a child in in mm-hmm. jeopardy or danger like that. But I know my three-year-old. If I said, "Hey, piss on that guy over there," and we'll start off our next uh, adventure that way, uh, I'm sure my son would not do that. Yeah. Or if I sure, threw him in the, he'd love it. If I threw him in dumb. the river, if I threw him in the river, my son would sink like a stone, not play splash playfully until uh, somebody tried to rescue well, him. And and that and, and that brings also, up an important point, which is that Daigoro is also a badass samurai baby. Yeah, I mean, at at the the very last story in this volume, I believe, mm-hmm. is basically their origin story, right? Where you get to find out how this crazy assassin and baby came to be a baby and samurai assassin team. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does. He says, okay, you have picked the sword. I know that you are a baby and you do not understand, but the blood of our family flows through you. Fundamentally, you understand these concepts. Right. And he picks to stay with his father. And maybe this guy is just nuts. But well, if very well this be. is his story, he is, and, and, you know, to just completely weirdly reverse this, he is the Scott Pilgrim of this book. Everything <laughs> revolves around him, yeah. and everything happens in his terms. Right. So, Diagoro is a crazy baby assassin, because this is all in, um, what's his face? Uh, Ogami. Ogami's world. Mm-hmm. And... They are, in fact, bonded together. Dagoro always knows what he wants him to do. He's right. a three-year-old kid, you know. He explains concepts to him that are probably a little too advanced, you know, uh, even for a particularly smart toddler. Mm-hmm. But he still goes and he does it because he understands what's happening. You know, Dagoro never freaks out during a fight, even right. though he is in the fight. His right. father is holding him with one hand and murdering people right and left. Well, part of the time... And you never kids, see him like, yeah, freaking oh out. my God, what's happening? Or confused or angry or anything yeah. like that. I think this is the in first fact, use there's of a couple times a child in, in comics. The first what? The first use of Valium on a child because he just really it's just kind of sits Valium. there and just takes it all in and he's, he's not freaked out. He's not a badass disturbed. samurai baby. He's yeah. a samurai baby. Yeah. Now, how old and is he? How old? He's is he supposed one? to be three. Is three. he supposed to be three? Yep. So, yeah. and that's a little bit of a problem too, because the kid doesn't really talk. But he, there's a, there's a, there's a one story in which he sings, and the way that they write it out, he's singing perfectly. Right. He just he doesn't talk a lot, clearly. I guess. Yeah. Well, his dad doesn't talk much either. If no, you that's look true. at maybe they, that's how Lone they... Wolf speaks when he needs to speak. He's a man of few words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And half know. of those words it just are seems usually. That the kid is really three. He comes off. In the book, he comes off younger than three. Yeah, he almost he comes does. off as that one or two year old kid. Yeah, and you know, there, there's another thing that that was really kind of telling for me is like, as I was reading this, you know, in my modern and not at all lone wolf and cub mentality, I thought to myself, "Wow, this kid's got to be really traumatized." Mm-hmm. You know, what's this kid gonna grow up like? And of course, you get to that point where they get to that spa. And he's just got done like murdering people, and he basically just plops them down on a bed, and the kid
crazy universe, he's a completely well-adjusted samurai murder baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think it, it falls against his father's code, too. You know, you look at this, nobody in this world is, by our standards, carrying all their marbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you look at it, Ito... Um, and, you know, I'm thinking that Ito is his first name. I don't know. I'm doing that whole thing where uh, the last name comes first in Eastern fiction. I may be full yeah. of it. He, you know, he walks through this and he's completely nonplussed by all of it. But you run into crazy people, the crazy guy who insists that he have sex with that horrible fallen woman, you know, and throughout this whole thing, the people who hire him are generally liars. The people that he wants to kill are generally scumbags. I mean, he is crazy but he's crazy in a way that's very specific and very you know intentional i feel like his his code and his walking through this world of horrible lechers and psychos and murderers i think you know he's kind of a force of unwavering almost you know using the comic references almost rorschach like nature he is unwilling to bend he is not going to change and they can pretty much do whatever they want but at the point where he comes to kill them, then they die. Yeah, Maximus Riff says that this series is still influential today since it's the series that romanticized the wandering samurai. Whenever you see in anime or manga a lone warrior who follows his own code, you can be sure he's borrowing character traits from Ogami. What has always been strange to me is that Lone Wolf and Cub has never been an anime, even though there are plenty, and he goes on to list several, that borrow from it. So are you surprised this was never made into some anime? Would you want to see it as an anime? I mean, we, there's I, films. Well, I, think I don't think so. Yes. I, it might just be a timing issue. It's just Lone Wolf and Cub became huge, you know, before anime, before they made anime adaptations necessarily of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that there were some, but it just never got done and eventually just became a really... Yeah. seminal work so they couldn't go back and do it right. i don't know that there's any comparison in in the united states but um you know it's it's like um well, yeah, now i can't particularly think of anything because pretty much everything in the united states is like oh this is, is good Let, we make, we're gonna else. make a cartoon we're gonna make a video game and we're gonna make a yeah. comic about it and then we'll make a live action movie and sell merchandise merchandise that's where the merchandising is. well there's also the fact that this and again, you know, I'm looking at it from the point of that that uh, manga newbie. I look at this art, and I don't see how it's possible to do this with five guys in Korea painting on cells. I look at these, you know, and half of the, the the love that I have for this series is based on looking at the depth and being able to just look at panel after panel and go, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. You know, I'm like JD's girlfriend, and that's so funny. Yeah. But if you were to try and translate it into anime, you'd have to take shortcuts. You could mm-hmm. not, you could not take that type of care on every single frame, 30 frames per second for a two hour movie. So I feel like, you know, it's probably for the best that it hasn't become an anime because the anime would inherently, I think, be inferior to the original. Antonio says, I don't want to come off as an otaku jerkwad. But this volume was the one that got the ball rolling for me and made me see manga as more than just a go-to resource for weird sex and ultraviolence. 
Visually, Wait, it's, it's more than that? <laughs> visually, it's art, pure and simple. It's like watching a sprawling a Kurosawa Edo period epic, but unconstrained by the physical inadequacies like time and gravity. Pacing spellbinding, seemingly lifelong, uh, starring, let's see, what does it say? Starring matches are interrupted by shotgun blasts of meat-cleaving swordplay and the uh, staccato avalanches of cascading katana fodder. So uh, he really got into that as well, and and he does reference take a look at take a look at Sin City and Kill Bill and see how those creators were influenced by Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm. Matthew, give me your final thoughts, recommendations on this book. It's definitely a read. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a must buy for every American comic fan, simply because of the accessibility factor, but. That said, as someone who doesn't read a lot of manga, someone who, you know, is not a huge anime person, I had no trouble getting into it. It reads quick. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like, you know, you can't sit and read it. And it's certainly not like there isn't a lot of depth, but it reads quickly. And there are, there are structural bits in it where it's obvious that he's playing with the form. Mm -hmm. There's a series of two page spreads at one point where he's fighting. And he's killing, and he's hacking, and the glaven. But the whole point of it is that each page is laid out in thin tier, medium tier, thick tier. Mm-hmm. And you look, and there's like a six-page sequence where each one, thin tier, medium tier, thick tier. It's fascinating to look at the influences this has had. There are sequences halfway through the book that I swear Walt Simonson must have sat down and copied note for note the way most people rip off Zeppelin four. So right. Def- it's definitely a must read. If you like uh, manga already, I'd say buy it. If not, at least check it out from your local library and say, Hey, maybe I want to read more of this. Rodrigo. It, definitely. If you're into anime and manga and you, and you've never heard of Lone Wolf and Cub, um, you need to go find it mm-hmm. because there you will see where all your anime badasses come from. Um, and that's not even putting down anything. I mean, this is this is work that everybody has been uh, influenced by, right? In in that community, and and by extension, everybody who has then been influenced, you know, back in the United States. It's funny how Japan and the United States, as far as that, keep kind of uh, push, pushing and pulling back and forward. You know, it's because of Disney that things have gigantic eyes over there, <laughs> right, right? Right. And it's because of them that we have things like Avatar, The Last mm-hmm. Airbender, and, and mm-hmm. things like that back over here, and Kill Bill, and things like that, right? Um, I think that from a comics um historic perspective you should go get it if you consider yourself a comics historian and i think that from a comics layout perspective mm-hmm. it's also mm-hmm. really fantastic i mean this this is one of those comics that actually has cinematography to right, it right right um mm-hmm. it's not just panels on a page it's shots of a movie that are unconstrained by an aspect ratio mhm so at least from an art perspective if you're into that then you should definitely go get it. I, I would agree with you on the art. The art is phenomenal in this book. The stories, maybe not so much for me personally. Uh, I thought the stories were good reads. I'm not sure that I would ever want to read beyond this first volume. Yeah. Uh, but certainly the first volume is worth picking up and reading, at, at the very least at your local library. Or just so you can say, well, look, I know everything there is to be that's, to know yeah, about comics. Mm-hmm. Look, I've got Lone Wolf and Cub sitting that's there right. on my shelf. If you want to be that guy. It's one more notch in your lame wad belt, yes, definitely. Exactly. So that's what you want. Exactly. So I'm saying it's it's a it's a good read, not a great read, but it's uh, worth checking out. Yes. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here on the show this week and listening to us talk. Next week, 
man, if you had a tough time getting through Lone Wolf, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, Cerebus Volume 1, oh boy, Dave Sim, <laughs> it's going to be a fun time next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010